If you think Finance Minister Enoch Godongwana has a tough job trying to right our economy, then spare a thought for the Electricity Minister Josienzo Ramakopa. As the keynote at a recent Investec Renewable Energy Conference, he outlined the seemingly insurmountable challenges that he faces. Let me give you a quick summary. Coal powers over 80% of South Africa's energy generation. We're currently the 13th largest emitter of greenhouse gas globally. To reach net zero emissions by 2050, we will need an estimated 1.4 trillion rand. Meanwhile, the load shedding that we've experienced in 2023 is worse than the past 10 years combined, and the minister needs to secure 6,000 megawatts of power as soon as possible, simply to keep the lights on. To ensure long-term energy security, he needs to build 14,000 kilometers of transmission lines in the next 10 years. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at what is driving the markets, what's shaping the economy, what's changing the game. And in this week's episode, members of Investec's equity research team will share some of the insights from the conference that brought together the minister, Ramakhopa, ESCOM representatives, funders and key industry associations. So welcome back to No Ordinary Wednesday, Ross Kricher and Herbert Karibe. So a good place to start the conversation is to look at the state of energy generation in the country. And the big question on all of our minds is whether we'll still have load shedding in 2024. Minister Ramakhopa says, and I quote, The quickest way out of the crisis is to ensure that we improve the performance of the installed units at ESCOM. Let's hear from the minister how that's going. Essentially, Kusile is going to give us uh, an additional four units that we are retaining. And I'm confident that when we turn um, into 2024, load shedding, as you know, it will not be a conversation. But I think what we need to work on and address is the issues are about, about energy security. So, Herbert, let's uh, start with you, if you, we can. Um, so, according to the minister, we've just heard what he has to say. Load shedding is not going to be an issue by as early as next year. I'm wondering if that is in line with your expectations. So, 2024 is an election year. I think that makes uh, things rather interesting, but the numbers suggest it's possible, especially during uh, the summer period. We've increased our solar capacity threefold to four gigawatts, enabling meaningful downtime to perform much needed uh, maintenance. Further, the return of uh, Kusila units should relieve the grid somewhat. But it's still a little too early, I imagine, to celebrate, Herbert. Uh, That is uh, correct. I think having this uh, increase in solar capacity, we are yet to see how uh, the grid managers, to put it uh, loosely, are going to uh, manage uh, all of this. But I think uh, the numbers do suggest it is possible. And as I mentioned, just the return of those uh, units that went offline last year should uh, provide a meaningful relief for the grid. But Ross Kricker, you're going to tell us there's a bigger picture at play here. The minister says that it's really energy security which is of crucial importance. And by that, I guess we mean uh, uninterrupted availability of energy sources and most importantly, at an affordable price. And this is where renewables come in. So in your experience then, and, and from the work that you've done, are there enough wind and power projects in the pipeline to solve this conundrum for us? 
Yes, Jeremy, from a generation perspective, uh, the pipeline of prospective projects is, is very large. Sapphire's grid survey noted 66 gigawatts of projects at various stages of development, 18 gigawatts of which are at an advanced stage. So, so the intent from the private sector is definitely there. I think just the extent to which these projects can actually proceed to an operational state will be impacted by the factors such as investment in transmission and distribution. And that's, that's an area that we also need to watch. So I think what you're saying is we have a timeline, but we don't know how long that timeline is. But positive progress, I guess, is to be is to be welcomed. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair summary. So energy intensive users, Ross, are they coming to the party when it comes to self generation? Yes, absolutely. So energy intensive users are looking for security and quality of supply price stability and decarbonization. So if you think about what renewable energy provides, it ticks a lot of these boxes for them. And many of the gigawatts of private sector capacity previously mentioned are expected to come from these users. The key for energy intensive users is coherence of policy. The permitting environment and a wheeling framework are examples of what could be easy wins for government. At the moment, implementation is is much slower than energy intensive users would like to see. Um, so that's definitely an area where, where, where policy and government could, could step up and accelerate things. Mm, again, all comes down to speed of implementation, doesn't it? Herbert, back to you and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the sheer scale of what South Africa is trying to achieve in switching from coal power to renewables hasn't been done anywhere else in the world. Maybe you'll allow me to use this phrase then. Are we in a sense then a sort of global power guinea pig? I think it's tempting to go for the sensational, but let's contextualize uh, everything. Most countries with the higher shares of renewable energy rely on hydro and uh, wind generation. As an example, Germany generated close to 50%, I think came in around 46 from uh, renewables in uh, 2022. And they've got a target of around 80% by 2030. Our strategy is evolving towards solar, and this is because of uh, uh, constraints on the transmission side, which limit wind capacity from the capes. And uh, I think also important to flag that we are we are a dry country, so we don't have the option of uh, hydro. And also, much more important, uh, the past three years we've been in a cooling phase or a La Nina. That means lots of rain, so. Hydro did very well globally. Now we are in El Nino. It tends to be dry. That means most of the hydro generation we saw in the last three years may not be available. And that holds for wind as well. So closer to home, our economy is anchored in manufacturing. So to dream a scenario where most of that will be reliant on solar, even with batteries, quite a bit uh, challenging. At some point, the sky will go overcast and there won't be as much sunlight. The wind stops and that makes for quite an interesting scenario. The future is likely a permutation of renewables and fossil fuel generation. So not quite the experiment as yet, but it's still early stages. Others are doing it, but I think quite important for our context that the game plan is concentrated in solar and let's so hydro and uh, wind generation. 
Herbert, I'm going to come back to you in just a moment, but while energy generation is top of mind for the country due to its visible impact on our everyday lives, businesses and the economy, our transmission capacity or lack thereof poses a bigger threat. I'm going to come, as I say, back to Herbert in just a moment, but once again, let's listen to what the minister has to say on the issue. The biggest risk that we are confronted with is on the transmission side. I'm very careful how I say this. I'm not understating the challenges on the generation side because the transmission is a, an integrated network. And there's a single point of failure because we have not got into the conditions of, uh, of distributed generation. So we're exposed on the transmission side. So if you were to ask me an area that can uh, result into a grid collapse is not on the generation side. So Herbert, talk us then through the problems that we face when it comes to transmission. So the current footprint of our generation capacity is concentrated in Mpumalanga. Around 12 of our 14 coal stations are located in that province. So that means most of our transmission infrastructure is concentrated in that region. Now, with the plan or aspiration to switch into renewables, that capacity or potential is concentrated in the south, so in the capes, and there isn't enough uh, capacity to plug in all the wind generation, solar generation to connect into the grid. That is the big challenge right now, that we are currently designed to generate from from the north and distribute to everywhere else. But if we want to realize the full uh, renewables potential of the country, we would need to generate from the south and then distribute uh, everywhere else into the country. So that is the big challenge right now. So having said that, Herbert, how real then is the possibility of a grid collapse that the minister alludes to due to the transmission failure that you've been referencing? So it's quite exciting every time to, uh, to discuss grid collapse, but the probability is quite remote. In most countries, ourselves included, a grid collapse is likely to be a regional phenomena and less so a countrywide uh, matter. Load shedding exists to reduce the possibility of a grid collapse. Essentially, a grid collapse is a widespread uh, uh, outage, and those are actually quite frequent. Even in the developed nations like the U.S., for the U.S., it's due to extreme weather events like hurricanes and tornadoes. And just to flag, most of the U.S. grid was built in the 1960s, and the plan was for a 50-year life expectancy. But bringing the message closer to home, it is quite remote that we would see a nationwide uh, grid collapse. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I would just like to remind you, though, that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio South Africa wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate it. Let's return to our conversation. And, uh, Ross, back to you. At the end of the day, the quality of our solar resources anywhere in the country is still much better than Europe. But surely companies won't want to invest in building their plants in the Cape where there is not enough grid capacity there. What's your view on that uh, on that conundrum? 
Yes, Jeremy, that's right. So as Herbie said, and as you allude to, the, the constraints in the Cape are, are an issue for transmission. And Gauteng and KZN actually, um, and other provinces, better from a grid capacity perspective, um, but less efficient from a generation perspective. So ESCOM does have a plan. Um, the transmission development plan, I think, shows a good understanding of where capacity is needed. And there is significant grid capacity being added in the medium term, actually, with, with 2.3 gigawatts of projects already in procurement and construction stages. Beyond that, there, there are also 37 gigawatts of priority projects that ESCOM Transmission has, has planned, although funding and other challenges make the timing on these harder to call. Well, let's pick up on the funding issue if we can. Um, I'll throw some other impressive figures at you, Ross. Ambitious plans ESCOM has to build 14,000 kilometres of transmission lines in the next decade, but only four thousand kilometers have been built in the past 10 years the minister and brace yourself for this one says this is going to cost up to half a trillion rand so it's an obvious question with escom coffers running dry where's the money going to come from and are these targets achievable yes look there, there are many many challenges um funding as you mentioned and then others others that i'll flag in a minute um look there are, maybe starting with the required build-out rate so ESCON believe that on a 10-year view, the requirement is to build 1,400 kilometers of lines per year. Industry research, as flagged by ESCOM Transmission themselves, suggests a run rate of 800 kilometers per annum is, is, is more likely, and that's at a stretch. So very challenging. Funding will be difficult, um, but so is construction capacity and equipment supply. So it's, it's more than funding. From a funding perspective, ESCOM has significantly increased capital allocation to support the implementation of the TDP, the Transmission Development Plan. And the, the transmission business can actually access long tenor debt funding due to its low risk nature. However, it needs a cost reflective tariff and regulatory certainty in order to, to do that. From the construction and equipment perspective, ESCOM is also taking steps to improve the, the capacity on the construction side and working on improving equipment supply. But these are definitely not easy or uh, quick issues to resolve. All right, Herbert, back to you. Money aside then, the minister says that South Africa lacks the total capacity and skills to build the required 2,300 kilometers of power lines annually. So obviously we would need to go and look for global assistance. Is this feasible? So I think basic economics will prevail and the highest bidder will come on top for the limited skills. And we are unlikely to be the highest bidders given our funding constraints amongst other considerations. We are not the only ones out there trying to build our renewables energy capacity. We are definitely on the back foot. We will definitely uh, need to be creative and resourceful. While we build this required capacity, we will have to make do with what we have. And what we have currently is coal. So... It's clear then that we need international investment to help us achieve these transition goals. But Herbert, there must be good opportunity, surely, for local suppliers and manufacturers. So quite right. We do not have the sufficient production capacity to meet uh, the demand for our aspirational uh, renewables energy capacity. This means we are going to rely heavily on imports, especially China, But locally, our electricians, engineers, and the limited production capacity we have will be key beneficiaries of this boom. But we will need directed policy frameworks to enable local content. All right, that's the transmission side. Now let's return to the question of generation capacity. In his speech, the electricity minister cited an encouraging statistic on the potential of solar. This is what he had to say. 
businesses just the other day were meeting with Sapoa and they were telling me that they've done a study. They've, uh, their membership uh, is about 100 million square meters of rooftop space. Um, if you assume that 50% of that, you, you can roll out the PV. They reckon that uh, you can get about 9.5 gigawatt of energy on stream. So, Ross, back to you then. My question then is how long before residential and commercial rooftop solar is really going to make a difference to our energy security? I think it is already making a difference, uh, and load shedding would likely have been worse if not for the capacity added in these areas already. So, Sapphire's published data on this shows installed capacity of around 600 megawatts in the residential market and 1,200 megawatts in the small-scale commercial and industrial market. Our discussions with installers suggest the rate of growth remains very high, despite the, the large additions that we've already seen. And the work we did earlier in the year suggests scope for significant further capacity additions, perhaps another three to four gigawatts by the end of 2025 in total from these contributors. A lot will, of course, depend on how much the large-scale project capacity ramps up, um, but we do expect contributions from households and small-scale commercial entities to make uh, a big difference. All right, let's wrap up now then. Herbert, give us your key takeaways from the minister's speech and perhaps more importantly, your expectations uh, for what is going to happen or might happen or even what should happen in the next uh, 12 months on the energy front. So I think uh, the past decade was very much about uh, generation, how we messed it up actually due to lack of maintenance and the many parallel narratives of how we got here. But I think from everything that we have seen, finally we are beginning to sense that there is some urgency and a pathway out of this darkness or load shedding. We will see car power ships docking. Municipality will lose out on electricity sales due to solar and there will be lesser load shedding. The grid, we believe, is about to get more complex to manage. As we mentioned earlier, uh, solar capacity is now at around 4 gigawatts. So also as communists to learn how to deal with that. But I think there's lots of opportunity for them to do much needed uh, maintenance. But overall, things do seem to be getting brighter. There indeed is some light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's a very good place to uh, turn the light off on this particular podcast. Herbert Karibe, along with uh, Ross Kricher, thank you very much indeed, uh, both members of Investex Equity Research Team. Uh, thank you for joining us today. And if you're interested in hearing more Investec insights from the event, visit focus.investec.com over the next few weeks, where we'll be publishing articles and other key themes from the Renewable Energy Conference. A new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight, to ensure that you don't miss a show, please follow Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. Until next time, from me, Jeremy Mags, and the entire Focus Radio team, goodbye and thank you for listening. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.